arms bleeding. Cried every evening, it was all about eating. When I became a teen, it was all about beef, and now I'm ready for the world. Hey guys, welcome to episode 40 of Food Psych. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and today's episode is called True Fitness. My guest is Madeline Moon, a health coach and fellow podcaster who had a past life as a fitness model. She shares her story of how fitness and bodybuilding competitions led her down the road into disordered eating and how she was eventually able to develop a healthier relationship to food and her body. But first, I want to point you to a couple of great resources for helping improve your relationship with food. The first is my free quiz to assess your relationship with food and see how healthy it is. I'll send you your results via email along with more than a dozen personalized, individualized tips to help you make peace with food wherever you might fall on the spectrum right now. Take the quiz and get your results today at christyharrison.com quiz. That's christyharrison.com quiz. The second resource I want to share is my Intuitive Eating Online course. It's a 13-week program that I created to help you work through all the principles of intuitive eating in depth and really demystify and troubleshoot the common areas where people tend to get stuck. I'll show you how to recognize the diet mentality, even in its subtle forms, and how to start substituting healthy thoughts instead. I'll share my secrets to making food and exercise choices from a place of self-care rather than self-control. And I'll teach you how to navigate emotional eating and how to stop alternating between restricting and overeating. And so, so, so much more. Several participants have shared that the course has helped them make peace with their quote off-limits foods already. As one participant put it after trying one of their quote unquote bad foods, I felt free, sweet, sweet freedom. Why was I so afraid of this food? I doubt I'll feel the need to buy another package when this one's gone, but just knowing it's off the bad list tastes and feels like a huge epiphany. What a moment of power. Participants are also having major revelations about how the diet mentality is hanging on in hidden ways. As one participant put it, before doing this module, I really thought I had given up the diet mentality. Now I realize that although I consciously reject dieting, I still have plenty of work to do towards accepting myself as I am. It was great. It really helped me identify what I need to work on by bringing it to my full awareness. And yet another participant shared this beautiful revelation she had in the course. My worth is not my weight or my looks, but my heart, mind, and soul. I need to trade in my self-judgment for self-love and compassion. It feels impossible some days, but I'm going to do my best. I deserve it. If you'd like to join others on this intuitive eating journey and have some beautiful revelations of your own, go to christyharrison.com course to learn more and sign up. That's christyharrison.com course. And then finally, if you like the podcast and want to help us reach more people who need to hear the body positive message, you can leave us a great review on iTunes. And I really appreciate people who've left reviews so far. Just open up iTunes on your computer, type in Food Psych to the search bar, click the result that comes up under podcasts, and then go to the ratings and reviews tab. There you can leave a rating and reviews sharing what you love about the podcast. And I'm so, so grateful for these nice reviews because they help bring us up in the ratings and help more people find these positive messages. Okay, so that's it for the housekeeping. Um, So now let's get into today's episode with Madeline Moon. I'm talking to her via Skype uh, because she is in Colorado. I'm in New York and I'm eating a cheese sandwich while we talk and I've just asked Madeline what sandwiches mean to her. Sandwiches are just like that. I don't know, like you, you would think that they're like healthy, good 
you know, they're, they're well balanced. They have lots of energy, but then when you get like into the, the fitness scene, like a sandwich is so like, no, like no, 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 no. Mm. Like that is all process. You don't know where that came from. That wasn't made like with like absolutely no oils or salts or anything like that. It's not mm. a clean food. It's, it has carbs and protein and fat and sodium and, and sugar, depending on the sandwich all in one place. So it's mm. like, and that's like a, like in the fitness area or community, that would be like a lazy person's food, you know? And mm. the last thing I wanted to be was lazy. Someone who like threw together a sandwich and didn't take the time to prep my food correctly <laughs> on Sunday and had it all lined up in my Tupperware. Like that's an on the go food. And like, mm-hmm. you don't eat on the go foods. You eat, sit down in your Tupperware in the car kind of food, you know, like chicken and broccoli and rice and Wow. I don't know what it it's almost hard to put into words how much fear I had with sandwiches. Like mm. I'm even struggling right now to communicate because now that I'm so out of it I'm like I don't really know what the problem is with sandwiches. Right. <laughs> like there was a crazy fear just like and I loved um what was it? When I was in college I ate a lot of Jimmy John's cuz that was like the only place that had sandwiches open. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they had they were open till late, and so like two in the morning, I'd be like, oh, "I'm hungry. I'm studying, so I'm gonna order a sandwich." And then I would eat. I know I didn't even like think about it. I really just, you know, I was a vegetarian at the time, so as long as I got the vegetarian sandwich, as long as there was no meat in it, I was mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, anything goes with a sandwich. It's like. Uh huh. But yeah, it's so interesting how these like really lovely foods get demonized by you know, certain disordered communities, right? Or like disordered ways of thinking. Because I definitely had that too. Like when I was in my eating disorder, it was the the low carb days of, you know, the early 2000s, like Atkins craze. So of course, to me, a sandwich was like terrifying because it had carbs and, you know, I would make like something on a low carb tortilla maybe, but I wouldn't touch bread. Like bread was out, even though I loved bread and I grew up on bread and, there's absolutely no reason to fear bread, as I know now, being a nutritionist. Like, bread and sandwiches are great, but it's weird how things get twisted. Yeah, and to be absolutely honest, I still get little um, spurts of fear when I think of sandwiches. Like, mm. f- I have a funny story to go along with this. Um, yeah. in my One of my most recent podcasts that I did was called how I got my period back by eating a sandwich. I saw that. I haven't listened to it yet, but I was really curious. It's pretty cool. I had Stephanie Ruper on there from Mm. Paleo for Women. Um, So I kind of just like shared my story with her on the time that I ate a sandwich. And I'll kind of share it with you because Mm -hmm. I had actually lost my period last year um, in January. I was... I still had metabolic damage from Mm. fitness modeling and from dieting like a lot. And... That, that combination with the birth control that I had been taking for five years, I don't really know necessarily which one it was, but mm. I, at the same time that I was like, hmm, I'm going to start eating more, I'm going to be healthy, and I'm going to stop working out ex- obsessively, at the same time that I made those decisions, I also said, oh, okay, and I'm also going to get off birth control. Mm. So I did all of it at once, and then I had no period for a month, and I was like, well, I'm sure my body is adjusting to the mm-hmm. lack of birth control and then another month went by and I still I still did not have my period and then another month and then before I knew it it was a year and wow. this February I you know right now at this point in my life I'm 
thriving more than I ever have before. I'm eating all the foods. I'm relaxed. I work out or, or move my body in a way that feels really awesome. And I'm not torturing myself anymore. And it's amazing. It's incredible. And so the period thing, I admit it's something I should have gotten checked out very quickly after its disappearance, but I didn't. And I don't have a good excuse. I just was kind of like, do I really want it? Do I really, really want to get it? <laughs> right. you know, I was kind of like, <laughs> I'm not really going to focus on it right now. It's fine. It's fine. But in the back of my mind, I did have some worries here and there just being like, what if I can't have kids? Or what if like eating more and relaxing more is not going to work for me? Mm. But I fill my life with lots of people who talk about how to regain your um, metabolism, like Matt Stone and Stephanie and like how to um, eat for a better body temperature. So I just mm. kind of been taking my my pace the way I want. I'm not the kind of person that just wants to like eat everything and everything. Mm-hmm. Like just to get my period back, I wanted to do it the moderate approach. And so I just kind of eat what I want to eat and feel good about it. I don't want to do any extremes. And so I was kind of just waiting for it. I was like, yeah, the longer I do this, the quicker it'll come. And then there was a day last month where I was with my parents and we were trying to like decide where to go eat and we were like oh we could go to like this steakhouse and I was thinking like yeah I could get like you know meat and vegetables <laughs> you know and then when then they were like or we could go to this place and I was like yeah well there I can get this and this and then none of those places sound good what we really wanted was a sandwich something like mm. pretty quick but like casual and so we were standing outside the sandwich shop and I was like let's do it let's go in because mm-hmm. I, I really didn't even think about it I'm so not in that state of mind anymore so you know, I was scanning like the sandwiches and I was like looking for the one that looked the quote healthiest or whatever. And I got a sandwich and I ate it and it was absolutely amazing. And I can, I think I can swear to God on this. I think it was the first time that I had a sandwich in like months and months and months and months. Like, I don't know if it would be a whole year, but it was a really long time since I had had a sandwich. And I don't know if it was because like deep down I was avoiding them or Mm -hmm. if it was just because the opportunity hadn't really um, rose up for me. Mm -hmm. But I had it and immediately following that day, I started getting like all these different symptoms of like period. Like, And then Uh all of a sudden... I got my period on Valentine's Day, and it all was because of the sandwich. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that <laughs> you're gonna attribute it to the sandwich. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, me, it's it's interesting though. Maybe that was kind of like the last nail in the coffin of the disordered mindset and the stress about food and the you know not totally legalizing it. And when you had that sandwich and you were okay, it's like that was that was it, like yeah. metaphorically. Mm-hmm. I think so. I, I ate it stress free. It was a it was an accomplishment in more ways than one. It was yeah. like food it was food freedom and you know, I ate that sandwich and I had fun with my family and we were relaxed and I didn't even think about it. Once we left that place, I didn't think about it and worry about it. I was like, That was yeah. delicious, I can't wait to have another one. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Such a great feeling and such a shift from the disordered mindset where you're like obsessing about it all day, right? Like <laughs> Right, like planning it a week in advance. Yep. Yeah. The planning. Yes. Such a it's such a joy to be able to just have food take its place as like one thing in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like your your life is not revolving around the food on your plate anymore. It's Mm -hmm. just like helping you to get energy to go do your purpose. Yeah. It's just the beautiful thing about food. I know, exactly. That's amazing. So tell me, okay, let's let's go back to 
childhood or kind of the origins of this, the food issues for you, what do you think the seeds were of the disordered eating? That is a great question. And I've been thinking a lot about this in the past year, just kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, talk, the more I talk about it, even on my podcast, the more I like have these realizations of, oh yeah, that probably really contributed totally. to it. But I know that. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> it's not, it's not the best feeling. Cause you're like, you don't want to hurt anyone in your life mm-hmm. and you don't want to say anything that's going to, you know, make anyone like, you, like I take responsibility, but I also believe there are external factors that highly contributed to my mindset. And what I mean by that is growing up, um, there was a lot of talk about weight and there was a lot mm-hmm. of fat shaming around me. And I'm not going to say exactly where it came from, but yeah. there was a lot of Every time uh, when I was growing up, I'd go into a restaurant and there was just a fat person walking around, there would be a comment made Mm -hmm. somewhere with the people I was with. And that continued for years and years and years, and it still continues today. And it is very difficult to be around fat shaming all the time, especially when you're around people who eat the same foods as people that are fat. Just our metabolism is different. Our environmental factors are different. But the fat shaming really affected me. And on top of that, I was for a very long period of time, like I have 10 female cousins on my mom's side and they are all tall, tall, tall. And I was, I mean, now I'm like the middle because we had babies after me or the, you know, there was little cousins. But for a long time, I was the youngest out of the big girl group. Mm. And I was also the shortest. And, you know, they I, I remember when people would take pictures of like, let's do a girl's photo and all the cousins got together. I remember this time where my uh, one family member was saying like, oh, you girls are all legs, except for you, Maddie. You're not oh. all legs. But one day you will be. But you know, that day never came where it was like, then a comment finally followed up, you know, a year later where it was like, you too, Maddie, you know, that never came. So mm. I remember only being told, not you, Maddie, like all you, you know, 10 female cousins have long legs, long blonde hair, blue eyes, but Madeline, you'll be there one day. But that mm. one day never came, you know, it was like, yeah. yes, I was probably around nine then, maybe eight. So of course I didn't have all legs, but, and, you know, we're human beings We're you know, our, our instincts are to be, um, we want to be accepted in the group. And so of course yeah. I wanted to be along with my cousins. So little things like that, um, growing up and, you know, the Weight Watchers stuff was kind of always around my house and, um, lots of like little tiny things. But the thing that I, I contribute the root of my, um, disordered thinking was probably when I was watching uh, this, you probably don't know what this is, but well, you actually, you might Lizzie McGuire, like that Disney show. From, oh, sure. Yeah. I'm a yeah. little older, I think. So it, it wasn't yeah. my, um, <laughs> my wheelhouse, but I, tough, I definitely remember it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of my jam when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And there's one episode where Lizzie McGuire's best friend, like, is really stressed out with school and whatever. And she decides that she's not going to eat for a couple days to just control something in her life, like verbatim. She's like, I don't have control in anywhere in my life, so I'm going to control my body and my food. And to me, right, right, exactly. And to me, I was like, like, oh, that's a new idea. I didn't, I had no clue that was um, an alternative control mechanism for life. And, you know, by the end of the show, of course, 
all all of her friends are like, don't ever do that. We love you. You're worthy, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yes, I am. But to me, I was like turning off the television show being like, how can I implement this into my life? Yeah. Oh, it sucks how much these things that are cautionary tales end up triggering an idea in people's heads. Exactly. And that, because that is the root for me, that's a huge concern in my business because I'm always kind of like, my thing is to talk about the fitness industry. And by doing that, a lot of times I show pictures of myself when I was in the fitness industry, but like, I don't want to be giving people ideas. Like I remember one time I wrote a blog post or something about, um, oh, oh, the negative side to achieving female abs. Mm -hmm. And this post kind of blew up and I found it on Reddit and someone I posted on Reddit and all the comments, like some of the comments of course were like really cruel and mean Mm -hmm. about me. And you know, it always happens, but some of them were like, this only gave me more ideas to abuse my body. And I was like, Oh my gosh, no, I was trying to say why abs aren't worth it. But like, You can't always control how people are going to interpret your message. Everyone's perception is different. I know. I've struggled with that too in the podcast because it's like, you know, as a journalist, I come, my background is as a journalist. So I'm always thinking about how to illustrate things and how to create emotional impact with anecdotes and stuff like that. And so when I first was doing the podcast, I, you know, listed, I mentioned weight. I talked about like bad behaviors people had done or didn't really worry about how things would be misconstrued. And it was only after I started working with eating disorders that I realized like, of course, like this is not just information here. This is not just telling a story. This is going to be somebody's how-to manual, perhaps, you know, if they're in the wrong place. So I actually went back and like deleted, you know, or beeped out the weight stuff that I mentioned and put trigger warnings on episodes and stuff. I've become very careful about how I talk about these things. But even so, like there's sometimes when you need illustration, you know, you need to to say something, you know, directly. And you just I I just wonder too, like how people are going to take that. It's, it's a tough balance. Yeah. Especially like with the word fat, yeah. because that's one of those words that like, as a whole, our community is not on board with the like, mm. reclaiming of the word fat. Some people don't even like have a clue that fat right. is actually perfectly fine and like to them that's still a trigger word so it's like yeah. i want to be able to say the word fat but i don't want to offend the people that aren't moving in the direction that you know our community is moving in like they're mm-hmm. not there yet and it's like how do you eh, you know eh. <laughs> i know exactly. difficult and do you have to say it every time like i'm using the word fat because i'm trying to help reclaim it as a neutral word whatever like or do you just kind of use it and hope for the best yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> Still learning. If you ever figure out, tell me. I will. <laughs> I, know. I definitely will. But yeah, so that's interesting. How did you get from the, you know, the fat shaming in your childhood to like you said, you saw that that Lizzie McGuire episode. Did you then kind of was that the jumping off point for using eating disorder behaviors? So I'll try to make this like not way too long. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because my story, like, ugh, just all over the place. But basically, <laughs> that was in second grade. So mm. I didn't start immediately then. I kind of dwelled on it. And I, 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 a few years went by. And then around, 
um, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I stopped eating much and I just, you know, would eat like a bag of chips and a sandwich every day. And then, mm. cause I, you know, that got me attention. I liked that. And then I got a little bit older and then I got into veganism and vegetarianism because meat is bad, mm. you know? So I got really scared of meat and I thought as long as I avoided meat, it first started as ethical and it was like I really wanted to help the slaughter industry um, improve and right. it, I was very, very passionate about it. I would almost say as an activist, but mm-hmm. not. But it very quickly turned into something else. It became something that was like, oh, you know, like no meat, no meat. Like if meat touched anything, I would freak out. I did not push wow. it on other people because that's not my style, but I myself wanted to be respected. So I didn't eat meat, but then I went to college and I continued being vegetarian and abused my body in every other way, including alcohol and partying and staying up late. And then I got addicted to exercise and I ran miles a day on a treadmill for about four months and I never took a break. And and then my freshman year, I was very, very fragile, very thin, um, very disordered in my thoughts and played around with anorexia and bulimia here and there. I will never Mm -hmm. say that I had anorexia or bulimia because it was not consistent, which is that awkward area, you know, so it's like specified kind of exactly disordered eating disordered thoughts more than anything. So sure. Fast forwarding through all of that craziness of just my poor body, just going through all this. And then I opened up the doors to a new opportunity to abuse myself. And that is, um, fitness modeling and fitness competitions. Mm. So, yeah, so I how did you get involved in those? And it, that's like bodybuilding, right? Or Yeah. Yeah. It's bodybuilding. It's hard to even call it that though cuz I wasn't building up my body in any way. I was mm. really just bodybuilding is really about getting you first do want to get a base of muscle and um, mm-hmm. depending on the category you're going to be in, but the real focus is how much can you lean out? How much body fat can you lose? So how mm-hmm. how weak can you really get is huh. the main thing. So I uh I I got really consumed. I got this book or, or I ordered some protein powder cuz I was like I want to start building muscle instead of being quote skinny fat, which is hmm. the worst thing you can call yourself cuz that oh, yeah. doesn't exist. <laughs> um so I started doing this uh, bodybuilding routine, I ended up uh, ordering some protein pattern and, and this book came inside of it, this free you know book about transformational stories. And I remember reading in there about like the bodybuilder's diet. And so I gradually glided into that. And then soon enough, I hired a trainer at my, my 24-hour gym oh, to boy. help me to get this diet going and to sign up for competitions. So I signed up for the show 18 weeks away from it, and I started dieting for it 18 weeks away from it. I started the minute I could. I gave up every luxury possible, including sleep and relationships, and I wouldn't even say luxury. I would say every necessity for being a thriving human being. I gave that up for um, for I'll, I'll go into this in a second, but sure. basically this, this diet coach, I paid him a very nice amount of money to starve me and he put me on one meal plan. I mean, when I say one meal plan, I don't mean like one set of calories that I have to follow every day. I mean like six meals a day, the prescribed measurements of each food and there were like six different foods and that was all I could Jeez. eat for, for 18 weeks. Ugh. Yeah, I lost my period. I lost my... Um, 
uh, I lost my sleep patterns and I was starving, sad, depressed, isolated, bloated, and um, terrible, terrible digestion. And I just had nothing going on for me in life, but I was so yeah. brainwashed, so brainwashed. Yeah. So you basically had an underlying, it sounds like you had an underlying body image issue that this just plugged right into. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I, my worth was my worth has always been up until recently has been in my identity, whether I'm known mm. as, and it's always about control. How well can I control it? Like yeah. I was a vegetarian. I was a vegan. I was bodybuilding. I was later on paleo. I was bodybuilding again. And then like, I'm always trying to like have my identity be something about my control mechanisms, which of course is food. Right. Right. I had so- to separate myself from that for sure. Yeah. So how did that, like, you you were in a really bad place, it sounds like, with the bodybuilding. What snapped you out of it? Um, I think, this is a really good question. I, I think for my second, I did two shows. So I did a bodybuilding show, and then I ventured out into uh, bulking and seeing how much muscle mm-hmm. I could put on. So then I went on the other extreme of stuffing my face, and I was paleo. So I was paleo mm-hmm. stuffing my face which just does not work out well because you don't want to be eating, stuffing your face with fat and sweet potatoes all day long because it just doesn't make you feel good to have to do that. So then I just, like, I was like, oh, I need to lean out again. So I signed up for another show. And I think my, I I had several, oh man, it's hard to say I had aha moments because that is such an, that, that's such a difficult thing to have when it comes to body image. It's a slow, yeah. slow process. But okay. I had one moment where I – it was the, I was right after my show that night. I, um, I had a fitness uh, photo shoot the next day, so I couldn't really, like, finish up my show, go out to eat with my family and have a drink and relax. I had to still stay pretty strict to make sure that my body stayed tight for the next day. Mm. And my, my uh, mom and my sister – came to come, came to my show to watch me and support me. And I was just crying because I didn't place where I wanted to place. Mm. And then they wanted to go out to eat and I couldn't. And so we just went back to the hotel room and I took a picture of uh, an apple and one Pop-Tart that I was going to eat (gasps) eat after my show. You know, that was like my, my treat. I was like, I really wanted these pumpkin Pop-Tarts, like favorite thing ever. I'd been waiting like four months to have this pumpkin pop tart. And then I wanted to have an apple because I was starving. And I took a picture of it and I put it on social media and I got chewed out by some of my followers just being like, it was so stupid because they were like, pop tart, that's gross. You're so gross. But then an apple, that's not a cheat meal. You need to go eat some like actual like, I know. So I was like, okay, so I can't have an apple and I can't have a pop tart. And I was still so highly connected to people's um, opinions about me. So like, I didn't place well on the show. I couldn't go enjoy myself. I was crying. My parents or my mom and sister were just like trying to, it's okay, Madeline, like you did great. Why don't you just like be happy? And yeah. and then I had no, like, I was just so, my happiness was so conditional. But in that moment, it was very apparent. And it was just like, if I can't be happy now, if I honestly think, like when I looked in my reflection in the mirror, I saw nothing but not enough. I I just looked in the reflection. I was like, you're a failure. You're stupid. You're not pretty. You could have done better. You, you like suck at this. You can't even like do a show that you trained four months for your fans. Don't even like you like all these awful, awful thoughts. And then I just said, 
this isn't worth it. Like I literally blurted out, this is not worth it. My mom was just like looking at me like, praise the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. But uh, you know that I needed that second show to like have this wake up call where I was, I, it really came to my attention that I will never be happy if these are my, my standards for happiness. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing that you had that presence of mind to, to know that. You know, where do you think that came from? Like that healthy voice that was saying, this isn't worth it. I think it's my body trying to protect me. It's like, Madeline, this does not feel good. Like yeah. this just, this doesn't feel good. And and also there's one thing I kept always thinking about. And I thought about like, well, two things. Like if I die today, is my life, like, was it rich and fulfilled? And did I help mm-hmm. other people? And no, not really. I mean, I had a good life, but it was also just like, not in my own little head. My own little head was like distraught with all my thoughts. But the second thing yeah. is if I died, if I died, what would people, what would people say about me at my funeral? And this is so morbid, but you know, it, it's what I needed to think about. Yeah. So I just thought, what would people say if I, if I had died like then? And I think at that time, the only thing I could think that people would say about me is that I was really awesome at clean eating and working out. Oh. <laughs> I know. And it's like, do you want to be known for that? Is that what your life is about? Exactly. Exactly. I was like, that is not. And like, I was yeah. lashing out. At, I was lashing out at people because I was so starved. And I was so like, I had, I thought I was in control because I had little tiny details of my food and schedule in control. But right. I was not in control. I had to like ask my coach before I ate anything. If I was starving and my stomach hurt, I had to text him and be like, can I eat something, please? Oh. And he'd be like, no, you can't eat anything. Go eat some like broccoli if you really have to, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. So it controlled you really at that point. Oh yeah, for sure. It's so uh, two things come to mind, which is one is, you know, that this idea of control that actually the thing you think is giving you control ends up controlling you inevitably Mm -hmm. with eating. Anytime you use eating to try to control your life, that's what happens. And then, uh, you know, the the morbid thing of like thinking about your funeral and what people would say, it's really interesting. Like that's actually an exercise that is done in um, this thing called ACT therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, which is used a lot in eating disorders. And it's, it's really about helping people like focus on their values and what they want, what they want out of life. And, you know, that's an exercise that really helps clarify it. Cause it's like, it's what ultimately, what do you want your life to be known for? And what do you want to be remembered by? You know, if it's this, if it's being like the leanest person with the lowest amount of body fat or, you know, clean eating all the time or being the skinniest or whatever, like, what does that really say? You know, is that really what you want from your life? So I think it is a very useful exercise, actually, like, even if it's a bummer. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, like that kind of stuff to me, it's I say it's morbid, but in my eyes, it's not. I think it is a wonderful practice. And it really and and another thing I thought about is like when I die, my body, like our bodies, like, it's just so. Now looking back, it's so funny because like we spend our lives obsessing over something that turns to dust. Right. And it's so. It is so profound, but it, it also really makes you open up your eyes and be like, yeah, this body is so human, and it's just made up of flesh and bone and like what it's in what's inside like the body's whole purpose 
is to protect what's going on in the inside, mm-hmm. like your mind, your soul, like your spirit, your thoughts, everything. Like, and then of course, like your stomach and your lungs and all that stuff. Like, yeah. it really is a little like encompassing shell home, like for us. And like, yeah. it, like who are we trying to impress? Because if it's like a guy or if it's a girl, then like that person has deeper issues and you don't want to have to go into that with them. You want them to go figure that out on their own. You want someone who's like obsessed with your mind and what's going on on the inside, like so in love with it. And like, Mm ah, I love that. That's such a nice way to put it. Cause it is like, these are shells. These are vessels. It's just, you know, Mm -hmm. what, what do you want to do with yourself and your life? Your body is just your instrument. When you put it in perspective like that, I think it's very helpful. Although it's one thing I think to have that epiphany where you're like, what am I doing to myself? This is not what I want. And that's huge. That's the first step. But then how do you get from there to changing the way you eat, changing the way you relate to your body on a day to day basis? Like, I think that's where the rubber meets the road, you know? I think one of the biggest keys in that area is even as a coach, Mm -hmm. as being a coach, I think one of the most important things people really want to hear and to know is that we give them permission to not eat clean today or not work out. Like people, if you go online, all you read is like stuff about self-righteousness and fitness. It's like, or eating clean and being better than everyone else or never having any excuses and being superior. And like, of course we all want to be superior and we all want to have stuff to be proud of. But like when we, when we think that today I work out for an hour equals superior than everyone else, or you have willpower or you're, you're completely in control of your life. Like that is so false. Like I want everyone to know that they never have to lift a weight in their life if they don't want to because that is not what makes your life rich and full. Like for some people, it brings them happiness. So that's awesome. But like you should be able to call people out whenever they say that's like the key to a happy, fulfilled life is lifting weights because it's not. And you have permission to ignore that if you want and go about your day doing whatever else you feel like doing because that's where the meat of your life is made up of. Oh, that's amazing. That is such a powerful message too because coming from someone who has expertise in that area, it means a lot to say like, no, don't listen to this stuff. This is all this is all myths, you know, like in nutrition, I do a lot of myth busting and I think it's really helpful for people. And I'm sure with fitness, it's the same thing. Like you don't have to look a certain way or have a certain body fat percentage or whatever to be healthy or happy. No. And oftentimes, like in my case, at least in a lot of fitness model cases, it's like the opposite. Like you finally get down to that body fat percentage you so wanted and you realize that that didn't bring you happiness. In fact, that took away like your balanced hormones, your relationships, your happiness. You now need to be on like medication because you're depressed and you're like obsessed with your body shape. Like so much stuff goes downhill when you get that. And then afterwards, Mm -hmm. like I didn't even talk about after the competition, like you think people just look like that all the time? Because no, it is like afterwards, it's like it depends on how you go about it. But some people just like blow up because they want to eat everything because they're finally free. And then other people like, count their calories back up slowly and surely and they're still having to be 
on top of every single gram and like they still feel bloated their digestion is still off and they're messaging all their friends asking like what do you think about my body right now or how should I really be eating because this diet isn't working for me what do I do next how do I bolt correctly like it's just a spiral and you've got to get out of it you got to give yourself permission to get out of it totally yeah because it's it it doesn't just end with a competition it's every Mm -mm. single day so how did you go from yeah. that decision then at the end of the competition to learning how to eat normally and you know relate to your body normally? Well, after my second one, I did um, reach out to a few people just to say I need help with my diet because I just need to eat. Because I am a very – since I am very self-disciplined in certain areas, you mm-hmm. know, obviously it, it went way too far. Yeah. But at least for that at the beginning, like the first month or so, I got – I got help from a respected person who could help me. And so they just said, like, you you know, eat a little bit more carbohydrates um, Mm -hmm. this week. You know, you don't have to be counting your calories or your macros or anything. Just eat similar to how you were eating, but add more food in. So I would start there. And then soon enough, my body started to change a little bit. And that's when the freak out started to happen. And I was like, oh, no, like, I don't look like this anymore. What do I do? How do I let go? And so my... My uh, routine is very different. What I what did I end up doing? I did some extremes, but these extremes saved my life in so many ways. But the first step that I did was I got um, I got a precious little puppy who has Aww. changed my life in many ways. And getting her, I got her when I lived in Texas still, and so I all of a sudden had a responsibility, and I had someone to feed and love, and someone that made me smile every day. So that tiny little thing just added joy. I was no longer living by myself. I had this adorable, darling pup to take care of. And uh, after that, I picked up and moved to a different state. Like literally probably two weeks after I got Nina, I decided I wanted to move to Colorado. And 48 hours after making that decision, I I moved. (laughs) Wow. So, Wow. Yeah. Big change. Um, do you know the Institute for the Psychology of Eating? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I got a them. job there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I did admin for about two months. It was kind of just like a something to have when I moved there. And I love Mark David's work. So mm-hmm. I they said, yeah, come on, be here by this date. And so I packed up and I, I moved. But I moved because I needed I needed to get away from – the area where there was so much pressure to look a certain way. And and I'm not saying that picking up and moving is the answer. I'm not saying that uh, running away is what I did. I'm just saying that for me, I had this instinct that I needed to be uh, around mountains and I needed to be able to go on hikes and walks and I needed a fresh start and clean air and somewhere that is going to show me like God's glory every day. And so That is what I did. And that made such a big difference for me. That's amazing. Where were you living before? Austin. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) Where you're back. You're back there now. No, I'm in, I'm in Boulder. Oh, you're still in Boulder. Okay. For some reason on your Skype, it said, I think it said Austin on your Skype or something. Oh, I need to change that (laughs) because I am not moving back there. I'm staying here for good. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. So you found that being around nature and being away from like the visual sort of uh, putting, putting primacy on the visual maybe was helpful. 
Yeah, it just allowed me, it allowed me to explore a different side of myself, to meet new people and to start fresh because I needed to get rid, I knew that I had a problem of being attached to labels and I had made it very clear in Austin what my label was mm-hmm. and I had made a very concrete group of uh, acquaintances and friends that were all in the same label and I needed to get rid of my label completely. And so moving here helped me to just abandon my label as the fitness model, as a mm-hmm. fitness girl, the clean eating, like healthy living nutritionist. And like, I don't yeah. call myself a nutritionist anymore. And I used to, I used to say I'm a health coach, nutritionist. Like that is not, right. that's not my identity. That's not what I do. And I don't talk about food really. I talk about body image now. And, and as a result, I do help with food and mm-hmm. I do help with regaining a good relationship with food, but it's not even about what you eat or don't eat. In my opinion, it's about how you live and how you breathe and think and the relationships and your career and all those other things. Right. Because being a nutritionist or focusing exclusively on the nutrition does kind of elevate food to this place of like centrality to your health. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't even healthy for me to like talk about that all day long. Like, yeah, I can't talk about food all day long because See, talking about body image all day long, that helps me, that helps other Mm. people, but I don't have a gift for talking about food as like what foods are optimal. Like Mm -hmm. I can't do that anymore because that doesn't fulfill me. And I, that's my intuition. My intuition is saying, Madeline, that's not fulfilling your life, but this over here, bodies, shapes and sizes, like that really makes you happy. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about that. That's awesome. So what, what resources did you find helpful for body image? Like what did you discover in your recovery journey that was helpful? You mean like people that I followed or books I read and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Or philosophies, ideas. Well, one thing which I know you're very familiar with is intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Um, That helped me. I wouldn't say that necessarily made a big difference for me because that was such a mind blowing concept that I had to just fill my, my, I had to fill myself with information about it mm-hmm. before I could really implement it. So I remember I listened to the book on tape. I listened to Intuitive Eating on tape on a big car ride and just listened to it again and just kept getting those messages put into my head. And then another person that really helped me was, uh, he was also my mentor now, but his name is Matt Stone. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he wrote, uh, eat for heat and diet recovery. And that really, really helped me because what did he do? He gave me permission to mm-hmm. eat however I wanted. And he challenged me to eat more. And he, I, I started like one of the things that he does is take your temperature in the morning to see how your, um, see what your temperature is. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's optimal if you're around 98.7 to 99. And I was at 94. Oh boy. I was cold. (laughs) Sounds like it. So that meant that that, your metabolism was still turned down because of the starvation. Exactly. And that's why like I had digestive problems. And um, so that gave me confidence to know to eat more. And then, you know, I think the most powerful resource for me Mm -hmm. was feeling my emotions and crying when I needed to cry. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I have memories of, I have so many memories of, even in here in Colorado, just like breaking down on my floor and bawling because of this place that I am in and I can't get out. But I I also had so much hope here. I was just like, I'm in the right spot. I'm making the right moves. I'm doing what's best for my body. And it's really hard. And it's yeah. really, really hard. It's hard to watch my body 
change and mm-hmm. and it's hard to like change my business plan and who I who am I without having this body and and it, I really had to take a lot of precise steps and I had to start um I'll go ahead and share this because this is one thing that helped me yeah. a little more specific thing. But I created this this thing called Feast and Fast, and it's not <clears throat> it's not what you think. It's not about feasting on food and what you fast, mm-hmm. but it's a list like you know pro cons, the where you write it on the left and the right, the line down the middle and the line across underneath right. the words. Well, I did that and I wrote feast on one side and then fast on the other. And for feast, I wrote all the things down that were not fitness or exercise related to start doing so like Mm. I couldn't say like run more but I could say take more nature walks or you know like walk or read more fiction books call more friends um you know all this stuff like watch more television show like actually relax and like allow myself to watch tv and and do those things that self-righteous superior Madeline wouldn't let herself Mm. do like be a normal person and do normal things that don't require labels and don't tell the world about it. Don't be on social media searching for validation all day long. Like just do the things and don't tell anybody about it. Like just do them (laughs) for yourself. Yeah. So that would be on the the feast side. And then on the fast side, I'd have, um, fitness and and sorry, fitness, exercise and nutrition things to stop doing. So Mm -hmm. I'd have like, don't hire a, a meal plan coach or, don't reach out to a million people asking which diet is the best because I always had to do that. I, mm-hmm. I always like was pinging people on my Facebook friends that were like trainers and stuff being like, check out my macros. Are these good? You know, check out my right. progress pictures, like getting their validation. Um, stop reading articles about uh, like don't get on bodybuilding.com reading all those like sketchy articles that are all contradicting. Like stop reading that <laughs> right. crap because it doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wrote this really long list out, pinned it on my refrigerator, read it every day. Friends that can ever saw it. You know, I didn't take it down. I wasn't embarrassed. Like mm-hmm. I needed to be very aware of the stuff that I – the habits I needed to s- start breaking. Yeah. And some alternative things that I could fill in that place. Not habits necessarily but just – other activities to fill in because you can't really it's really hard to take away a habit period but Mm -hmm. you know it's it's really hard to take away something without having something else to focus on in its place that actually brings you joy and is better than that option absolutely yeah I think that's why people cling to the disordered eating and body image so much sometimes is that it obviously filled a purpose at some point in your life it gave you a sense of security or control or whatever it was and you're not going to have that anymore if you take it away. So A, you know, it's about getting comfortable probably with a little more uncertainty, a little more lack of control that is, you know, the reality of life, but it's kind of something you can avoid seeing when you're in an eating disorder. And then also figuring out ways to nourish yourself and fill that void that are healthier not obsessing about your food all the time. Yep, exactly. So how, how long did you sort of practice that before it became easier, before it started to feel like, okay, I got this. That, um, I don't really want to say, cause I don't want anyone to compare, mm, yeah. you know, their experiences and how fast it's taking, you know, how quick it's happening for them. But mm-hmm. it's, it's not like, I will say that I still struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, I no longer obsess over food. Food no longer controls me and my body shape does not control me anymore. And mm-hmm. I will say it's, it's been 
a year since I moved here and I've thrown a lot of consistency into this practice and little things add up where it's just like a tiny decision where like today I'm a, I'm about to eat this. <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, but y'all, I'm sure a lot of can relate to me on this, but mm-hmm. tiny little things like besides this feast fast list, but like say I'm eating a very gorgeous meal. Mm-hmm. Do I want to take the time to take a photo of it, edit the photo, put it on social media, add the hashtags, you know, keep yeah. clicking back to see how people like my feet, my food or my meal or, or same with like an exercise. Like, do I really want to take a video of me squatting and then put it on social media and then get validation from people? Because I don't want to throw myself into a position where I'm searching for validation. So mm-hmm. even today, I'm still, it's not like I'm doing all those things I used to do and like putting myself in the spotlight with food and, and fitness because I don't want, I don't, that's not me anymore. And I don't want to put myself in that spot. So yeah. I still have to actively um, make sure that I'm making the right decisions in every single every single day, and so it's not like it is like a breeze now because there's still moments, of course, where I'm just like oh, a sandwich, <laughs> you know. But then yeah. an awesome thing happens, like I get my period back, and then that's like that is my body saying, "Right on, Madeline, you're doing something good for yourself. Thank mm-hmm. you. Here's what we're gonna give back." And so this is just. Th- the way I live now is so opposite from the way I used to live and being able to wake up every morning and to not have to plan out my meals or my macros. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, I have, I have clients that still cannot disassociate themselves with macros. And it's like yeah. every single day is a different set of macros too. So it's like Monday is like leg day. So they eat more carbohydrates, but less fat. So they have like a certain set of macros and have to plan it out. And then Tuesday, it's like chest and shoulder day. So, but it's also like they're working out in the evening. So they have to like mm. schedule their meals around this time. And like, it is so right. much, it's so much. And all that time you can be planning your macros, you actually could be creating something or writing a book or helping yeah. someone or, you know, figuring out what career you really should be in or figuring out what direction your relationship really should be going in. It's like, that's how I'm living today. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm thriving. And my goal now is to help other people face the fears they have with food and the obsessions with food and macros and body image and addiction, exercise addiction and all that stuff so that they too can become entrepreneurs or they too can have a, a blog they're proud of or a website or relationship or kids or yeah. whatever their their calling is, you know. That's amazing. And that's such a, a great message. I love, you know, reinforcing that and hearing that is that like you get so much mental space back when you don't have to think about that stuff. And what do you want to do with your mental space? You know, you could do anything. You could, And I think that's partly why some people get stuck in the disordered thinking, because in a way it's easier and it's more comforting, or at least it's a known quantity to be obsessing about the same stuff you've always obsessed about instead of thinking like, what do I want from my life? You know, these bigger questions that can be scary sometimes can be like anxiety producing. Yeah. It questions your worth. You know, it questions what you, what you think you're capable of. Mm -hmm. Those are, those things are so scary. So scary. Yeah. And so how have you, have you found ways to deal with that? Like the fear and the, the angst that sometimes comes up around those bigger questions? Honestly, I fill my life with people on the same mission as me. Mm -hmm. Like you, for example, or Katie Dalebout or, Uh, Gabby Bernstein and um, Isabel Fox and Duke and all the mm. all these women like s- women who f- authentically want to lift each other up and I share my struggles with people and 
I'm open about the areas of life that scare me to pieces. And, and just, I love people being able to listen to me and I love to listen and being able to give and take in relationships and have others listen to, to my fears and, and then they can provide you know, good insight or they can coach me through it and I can coach them like that money cannot buy that. That is the best. Mm-hmm. That's the best thing that's ever happened to me just to finally find myself in a position where I want to help other women. And like naturally, because, you know, our world is a good place. Those women, you know, are attracted back and they want to help mm-hmm. me and, and men too. Like I just, I am actively seeking out people who have good heads on their shoulders and are encouraging and know this fear and, and they're not afraid to talk about this fear with me. Yeah. Cause that's, that's how we find, um, find ourselves and throw ourselves out there. And, and I know also that the only way you can really see is see if you're, if you're comfortable with something, you're good at something, if you love it, it's experience. So mm-hmm. getting experience really. I resonate with that too. Like for me, the last step in my recovery, I think, was finding this community of people who are on the same mission, who are, you know, about not not obsessing about food and helping us shake the chains that have have bound us for so long. And, you know, sharing that the vulnerabilities and the shame and the the difficulties we all struggle with, because that's the human condition. I think it's like when you get on this kick of trying to manipulate your body or you know, perfectly eat your food or not eat food or whatever the case may be. It's you, you're sort of trying to be superhuman or trying to take your, yourself out of this, like, you know, morass that we're all <laughs> struggling with all the time. And it kind of hurts and sucks sometimes to be human, but it also is so much more beautiful and fulfilling than anything you could do on your own. Oh, that's such a good quote. <laughs> it sucks to be human. It sucks to be human. It's worth yes. it. It's, it's yeah, worth it. exactly. It's. I mean, I think that's a like an important thing to keep in mind with recovery because sometimes people think, oh, I'm so you know, I feel so shitty like about you know myself, my body, my food. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's an amazing awakening moment to decide you want to feel better. But unfortunately, it's not all better. You know, it's not always going to be like, yay, I just ate a sandwich and now I'm going to go hang out with my mom. It's like sometimes it's, oh God, I just ate a sandwich and I got this horrible email about, you know, my cousin just died or something, you know, just like life happens to you, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think you feel it more when you're not protecting yourself with the buffer of food or body obsession. Like you're, you're more open to being hurt by other people and to, but also to being connected to other people. So it's a real, it takes a lot of vulnerability and courage, I think, to do that. But it, it is yeah. rewarding. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, you're going to feel more feelings. Like you said, you're going to have to really feel your feelings. Yeah. And, and like through recovery, I think just to give your your listeners one you know, mm-hmm. thing to take away to do is just like searching for things outside of food and like this sucks and this isn't fun at all. Mm-hmm. But to search for things outside of food that make you like love yourself in other ways. Like for example, when you said, you know, you eat a sandwich and then like with your mom you're happy or you're eating a sandwich and then like you find out someone just passed away or something happened to your mm-hmm. friend. Like well, after you eat that sandwich, like I, I like it just you just brought a feeling back to me of like you ate your food, something bad happens, what do you want to go do again? Eat more food, but you just ate, you feel mm-hmm. gross, all of a sudden your body image is bad, you wanna eat to like 
massage your body image, you want to feel better, but you don't want to eat because you just ate your lunch. And it's like, what do you do now? Like you're in this position where you're not happy. You want to eat. You can't eat because you're controlling your food. You've got your macros down, whatever, what have you. What do you do now? Well, first of all, one thing you can do is to not count your macros. (laughs) It's like, because in me, it's like, what is the consequence? If you're not, if you don't count your macros, what's the consequence really? But that takes time. So if you're still Mm -hmm. doing that, that's fine. But after you do that, after you have your sandwich, you get bad news, you're frustrated, you're you're feeling, quote, gross or whatever, those emotions that pop up whenever you're feeling crappy, you get out of your house or you go do Mm -hmm. something you know puts a smile on your face, even if it sounds awful in that moment. Like, for example, you love to rock climb and you have a rock climbing gym. Like, you don't want to move because you're angry and you're bloated and you're upset because that's what insecurity feels like. But instead of, like, you you want to feel your your emotions, you want to feel your feelings, mm-hmm. but you also want to enjoy your the body you're in. So go take that body and go do something that makes you feel good, like the rock climbing gym or taking a walk outside and just getting uh, a breather or listening to this podcast or doing something that you have to get up and you have to go move and get your mind off it because feeling your feelings is amazing, but doing something that makes you at least feel better about the situation or gets mm-hmm. your mind off of food, like that is really, really hard. And yeah. it's a struggle when you're feeling depressed or insecure to go do something that's going to make you feel better because you don't want to feel better. You want to feel bad. Right. Feeling bad is like, it's like comforting. It's like, yeah. oh, I hate myself. I'm just going to like sit here and be upset because that's what makes me feel a little better because I like feeling upset. But it's like, it's such a small thing and it's such a small, tiny detail. But like getting up off the couch going to get even if you go get a coffee at mm-hmm. Starbucks and sit down with a book you're reading even that is going to lift your spirits a little bit and you're just it's just those tiny things that add up throughout the day that you yeah. do and don't do that help with you know your discovery process yeah absolutely because it is like a dance i mean it's i think it's all well and good to say like feel your feelings and that's ultimately what we all want but like if you're used to feeling your feelings in a way that's very like self-loathing and piling on and it's not just about the feeling but it's also about like how crappy you make yourself feel for having that feeling you know how much you judge yourself for your feelings then it's like that's no good that's not helping you to wallow in that you know so distracting giving yourself something nice like a, a break and then maybe come back to the feeling later and see if you can process it from a little bit more of a neutral perspective or you know a more positive self-loving perspective Cause that's, I mean, that's something I really struggled with. And I, I know a lot of clients who struggle with that stuff is like, you know, perfectionism about even your own feelings. Like I shouldn't be feeling this way or I'm reacting to, I'm, I'm overreacting. I'm too emotional. I'm this, I'm that, you know, like that just adds fuel to the fire. So, you know, and then when you're used to doing something, you know, acting out with food or judging your body from that place, then it's just going to drag you back down into the thing you want to get out of in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Get out of the house. I definitely tell clients that a lot too. Like, just go for a walk, you know? And people will totally fight me on it. They'll be like, there's nowhere to go around my house. Like, I don't want to spend money, whatever. But you can take a walk around the block. You absolutely can. Yeah. It's, that's so funny because I fight, I fight on that too. Like, right. like, even the other day, my mom, I, I complain to my mom every once in a while when I'm feeling stressed. So I just like... Mm-hmm texted her and I was like, oh, I'm really stressed about this and this and this and da da da. And I was sitting at Starbucks because I was trying to get work done. She was like, 
breathe, honey, go take a walk. And I was like, I can't go take a walk. I just got to Starbucks. I've got so much work to do. Blah, 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 blah. Like, just like completely. And then I just like, ah, you're right. I need to like, my intuition says, don't be here right now. Go take a walk. Get outside. Um, (laughs) We need reminders. We always need reminders of that stuff. Um, So why don't you tell us about your, your website and where people can find you and any books or anything you want to plug? I know you have a new book out. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is maddiemoon.com. That's M-A-D-D-Y-M-O-O-N. So maddiemoon.com. And you can head over there. My website is brand new and I'm super, super excited about it. So you can go there and find my podcast, Mind Body Musings. It's also on iTunes. If you um, dig this kind of talk, I, I talk a lot about um, intuitive eating and body image and food fears with myself and with lots of guests. So you can hit that up on Stitcher, iTunes, or my website. And I do have a new book. It is called The Perfection Myth. And it's a quick read. It's very short. It's like um, two ninety nine on Amazon. But um, you can find that book. It's it, it goes into detail about my fitness modeling well kind of detail I mean it's Mm. kind of the surface of that and it gives a lot of insight into how I worked my way out of disordered eating and in the body image struggles by not accepting perfectionism as my standard so Mm. that's my my new book and I'm also working on another book that's going to be um along the lines of confessions of a fitness model. So that one's going to be done fairly soon. But um, yeah, I'm just throwing a lot of stuff y'all's way. But head on over to my website and get um, uh, my little free guide for ending your food obsessions because that also has a lot of insight into how to rid yourself from being controlled by diets and perfectionism nonsense. So that's that's all I have to share. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. This was so much fun. I love the topics we covered. And um, this is going to definitely be one that I'll have to share with lots of my followers. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guest for being here and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Android or whatever your favorite podcast app is if you haven't done so already. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch with you online. The best way is by email. So if you join my email VIP list, you'll get exclusive tips about intuitive eating and body positivity and updates about all my work as well as new episodes of the podcast. So if you go to christyharrison.com slash email, you can sign up there. That's christyharrison.com slash email. And I would love to have you guys all on my VIP list. And then you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Food Psych on Facebook and Food Psych Pod on Twitter. And then I am also on Instagram, just me this time. I don't have a separate account for the podcast, but I'm on Instagram at Christy Harrison. And the first I is a one. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL. And the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect position now? Who needs what